Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. So uh, curious to know what might be expected out of a sex and porn addict 23 months into recovery, thanks, with a CSAT. So this person is working with a CSAT, which is a certified sex addiction therapist. That would be someone who has the, the education to work with someone with sex addiction. So why don't you try? I mean, I because I, I, it's such a broad question. I think it gives us a lot of opportunities to say all kinds of things. So why don't you give it a shot and I'll go next. So if, so kind of like I was just saying, if that's all they're doing, you won't see a lot probably. Um, hopefully you'll see some changes, but if they're only going to a qualified therapist for 50 minutes once a week, it's really challenging when addiction is 24 seven. So my, the rest of my question for you would be, okay, they're working with a CSAT. What else are they doing? How many meetings a week are they going to? Are they on this, on this webinar tonight? Are they doing the drop-in groups on sex and relationship healing.com? Have they done the work groups? What are they doing to support their recovery? Cause a, a, even the most gifted therapist, 50 minutes once a week, and that's all they're doing. I would not expect to see much. Now, somebody who's really in recovery, 23 months in, that's almost you know ready to pick up a two-year chip at meetings. If they're actively doing that, you that's where I would call recovery. You will see them, you know, showing up. You know, Dr. Rob wrote out of the doghouse book, you would see them becoming trustworthy. You would see them actively, you know, in conversation with you, looking to what's best for the relationship, not just what's best for me. So so recovery is this process where we live differently with the lens not just focused on me, 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 but like on on the broader things. You know, with a three circle plan, you'd be looking at what's in that healthy outer circle. And it would be things like, you know, that are joyful and not just recovery focused. So somebody 23 months in, I would see them entering the real world, but with the recovery tools to be able to navigate it without just relapsing. That's my thought. Tammy, you should write a book. I swear to God. <laughs> no, I've book. seen what you've had to do. So that's, yeah, I thank you very much. <laughs> um, so that's smart. Um, so what I would expect at 23 months at this, this per, is that this person's helping other people. Yeah, that would be the biggest sign to me that someone is getting better. That at somewhere around a year to 18 months, they've been around long enough to say, "Let me sponsor people. Let me come to the meeting and be the treasurer. Let me help with the books." You know, when you start to hear, I think that the person you're involved with is actually not just racing to meetings and therapy and and whatever all of those things because they have to but because it's become a part of their lives and they feel an obligation and a connection to those things they would no less not go to a meeting than you know not uh not play with their kids on saturday you know whatever it is for them so i think the integration of recovery into their lives not as something i needed to go do because i was in trouble or or uh, I'm done <laughs> at either, you know, this is a lifelong process of personal growth and showing up for others in ways we haven't. And so it wouldn't just be, they were nicer to me. They were, you know, weren't as irritable. They were more pleasant. They didn't seem to be staring at people for sex. I mean, to me, that's an, those are earlier goals, but by two years, I would want to see them giving back 
And I think that would be the best sign that would tell me somebody's really on the road. And I see Tammy going like this. Yeah, yeah. Like that is. Well, and I'm also thinking, you know, like I would see them going, and what do you need to support you? Like, like you've had a hard day with work. I'm going to take care of the kids, the family. I'm going to do what I'm going to be helpful in our household so that you have a break, which is not an addict thing to do. An addict is thinking like, oh, you know, it, it's all about me and I'm going to take care of me. But with an addict in recovery, it'd be like, I see you've had a little stressful day. So, you know, what do you need to take care of you? Do you need to go for a walk? Do you want to go read a book? I'm mean, whatever it is, go talk to a friend, you know, um, you would see them actively engaging in that way, I think, as well. That's that's been my experience. So, OK, next question. My essay and I are in early in relationship and recovery. We have a healthy sex life that is important to me and have worked out boundaries that I hope will keep me safe and allow us to continue to make progress in our relationship. My question is, what generally is the relationship between relationship sex and sex addiction? In your experience, what do you see being hallmarks of partner sex that correlate to success and recovery, if any? Thank you. That's an interesting question. It's a very interesting question because it's asked by a partner. Mm -hmm. And I think if it was asked by a sex addict, I would be curious again, why are they focused on sex when there's so many other pieces that they need to be working on? But that coming from a partner is a really makes it a really interesting question. Well, and that it's important to me. We have a healthy sex life and that's important to me. So, well, I appreciate I mean, that that part I really appreciate because partners tend to sort of give in and not ask for what they want. So I think the fact that you're just saying, this is what I want and it's important to me is a partner's recovery, just that piece. But um, I'm not sure I fully understand the question of what is the relationship between sex and sex addiction and what are their hallmarks of partner sex? Um, I mean, to me, the hallmark of partner sex, it tells me that someone is in recovery is their eyes are open. They're looking at you you feel connected to them. It's about more than genitals and orgasms, but it's about a lot of ways in which we uh, make each other feel physically good and sensual. So I don't, think, I don't think it's about if we have good sex or the right kind of sex or are having it frequently enough, then they won't act out. I, I definitely know that it's not about if you have good sex, then you can rely on us acting out. But if you have bad sex, you can't rely on us acting out. So um, I think it's more, and by the way, we don't have to have sex. I know that's a shocking idea, but there are couples who don't have sex and they're very happy. And there are sex couples who have sex all the time and aren't. So I don't think we can value the quality of our relationships by how often frequently or the quality of our sex lives. But if you value it and you want it and it's important to you, you should be able to feel nothing I say will tell me will tell sorry, nothing I say can tell you. Do you feel a heart connection? Do you feel that person looking in your eyes? Do you feel them? Do, do they get out of bed the minute you're done being sexual or do they hold you? I mean, it's all those little things that tell me that they aren't a hallmark of recovery, but they're much more a hallmark that the two of you are connecting and, and growing meaning in your sex life. So, uh, Tammy, you have any thoughts? Of it? You, well, you like that my, Yeah, I, it, it's interesting. Yeah, I think my one um, thought that, I, that would be a little concerning 
is timing. Is it like when I'm stressed out, I'm looking for sex. You know, if your essay, because it's early in the process, if your essay mm -hmm. is looking for sex, not to connect with you, but to escape and numb out, but you know, to get away from the reality of whatever is going on, that would be a little uh that would be a little concerning for me about recovery so you know it's like everything else in in recovery what are we looking for it to do like we i kind of threw out you know with dr rob you know buying a car well if i'm looking for a car to make me okay that's the wrong reason to buy a car if i'm looking for transportation because you know whatever I, so so i always have to check my motives and i guess a little bit of it with that is like what is your sa looking to do if it's just connecting with you you know have the experience great if it's you know if it's not and then he I, you know i talked to somebody earlier today and then he goes and watches porn as soon as he gets done having sex that would be problematic that you know so, so i think look at it holistically but i'm glad you're here hopefully your essay is too okay so next question, I am in recovery from sex and love addiction. I have just started dating. Oh, this is like these dating questions. I'm so glad you started dating. It's challenging. And I've been in relationship for a little bit over a month. I have written down my bottom lines, top lines and inner circle behaviors, as well as set boundaries about how to behave in a healthy way around my partner. This has been a healthy relationship th thus far. We are doing healthy things such as going on dates, uh, exercising together, and have had lots of conversations to get to know one another. We have only made out uh, up until this point. I have never had a successful relationship in my life. I'm so excited. My question is, when do you know when is the right time to introduce sex into a relationship will be? The reason I ask is because my past experience, once I started having sex, I'd become really needy and sex takes over the relationship. How do I maintain a healthy relationship with intimacy after having sex? That's Tammy, great. I'm so excited. You start, yeah. you start with that one. Okay. Because like Dr. Rob has talked a, a lot about this, like having a posse and you know, I feel like I have to tell your story because you talked about like calling your sponsor before, calling your sponsor after. Um, but like, like it sounds like you have done so much work. I'm so happy to see I've got bottom lines. I got like I've got all this plan. You're doing. You're taking it slowly. You're creating a real relationship. So, um, so are you going to get it perfect? Probably not who is but but gosh if you've got the plan behind you you've got your sponsor behind you you've got you know dr rob has talked about having a dating posse you know having the people in our lives to to talk to about things you're more likely to do it more right so um that's that's my thought but gosh i love that you're you know, you're approaching this completely differently. And you're also aware, like, you know, I tend to get needy. Well, you can kind of go like, you know, I think I'm feeling a little like you're going to know you're going to go, Oh, I think I'm being a little needy, you know? And what does that mean? I, and the, uh, so then the other thing I mentioned earlier tonight, Troy Love talks about like abandonment wounds and and those type of things, it might be you identify something that's going, Oh, that's from this place. And that's, you know, but I'm not that person. I'm yeah, that's you know, so I think you can get information. So it's finding peace by Troy Love. He does the Friday men's group. He does a great job. Um, that may be a useful tool in helping you navigate this as well. Well, I think this is a woman. Oh, you do? So just, Interesting. Oh, yeah. Just just it's Missed it's that. emotionally insightful in a way that I don't think a man would show. There you go. In my experience. <laughs> um because it cares, this 
email cares about things that I don't think men necessarily pay attention to. But I love the fact that it, it might be a man. I don't know if it is a very sensitive and thoughtful man, in my opinion. Um, I like that, that this person says we're doing healthy things, going on dates, exercising together, conversations, because this is exactly what Tammy and I were talking about in terms of building intimacy. I don't care if you're married for 33 years or you just met, going on dates, exercising together, conversations to get to know each other. That's what couples need to do in recovery. I don't care how long they've been together. This is how you recapture intimacy that leads to sex is by knowing each other and being vulnerable to each other and all that stuff. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. Meanwhile, I don't think there's a right time to reintroduce sex because it's not like you check these boxes and then you say, okay, time for sex. Um, what I do think is it has to do with your communication. You know, are you being, one of the things I wrote down is, are you talking about sex? It says you're doing a lot of communicating. Are you talking about this? When would it be the right time for us to be, have sex? What does sex mean? Does it mean genital intercourse or does sex mean, you know, masturbating each other? I mean, there are a lot of ways to have sex. What does that actually mean? Do you, are you talking about what kind of sex they like? What kind of sex you like? One of the things that I really think couples that I work with struggle with is they, they it may be that these people have had so much sex, but they don't actually talk about it. You know, it's like a, we're used to having sex and not being ourselves. Being ourselves with someone we care about and being sexual is a whole different ballgame. So, um, by the way, you won't do this perfectly. And you might get triggered by your, and you know, into wanting to be sexual with more people or in more ways. As I thought Tammy said that great. You know, that's the point of a sponsor or a therapist is to be able to say, hey, I want to have sex five times today because I had sex once last week. What do I do? And then it's, you know, people support. This is someone asked earlier, why I have a sponsor? This is why, because you can have that person to call and say, gee, you know, do you think it's a healthy thing for me to be acting on this or not acting on this or whatever that is? Um, you know, someone asked earlier, and I wrote this down, I just wanted to say it, Tammy, they said, I'd be, or maybe it was here. Oh, it is here. Once I start having sex, I become really needy. So I think that being needful is a very good thing. And I think needing love and needing to be valued and needing to be appreciated and needing to feel special and needing to feel desired are all really good things. It's just who you choose to ask to meet your needs and how you ask to get them met is a very different thing. And it sounds like what you're saying is once I start having sex, then I become needy and that's bad because sex takes over. And, you know, I think if you're communicating... A little sex might lead to, you know, the more people, sorry, the more, I want to say it this way. The more sex people have, generally, the more they want to have. And so if getting closer to someone, having more sex leads to being more sexual more frequently, that sounds healthy to me. Um, maybe sex does take over for a little while. What matters is that you're talking about it. You're not keeping secrets about it. If you're having sex and you start thinking about all kinds of other people and situations, you can stop and say to your partner, I'm feeling a little checked out at the moment. Could we reconnect and return to sex? You know, you don't have to tell them you were thinking about someone else. You can just say, I need to reconnect to you. In other words, um, just because you've started doesn't mean you can't stop. Just because you have avoided it doesn't mean that you have to jump in. There is no right or wrong about this, but what this person is doing, and I love it, Tammy, and you said so too, is they're talking about it and they're asking the right questions. I just want to know you asking all these questions of your partner. 
So the next question kind of ties in. Dr. Rob, I've been in recovery from love addiction and single going on three years. When I eventually begin a relationship, is disclosure of a history of my love addiction important or necessary? This is love addiction. What about other addictions? Is it important for someone to fully disclose to a new partner? Well, I love this question because, you know, I've had people who said, um, you know, we went on a first date and I let them know all about my sex addiction and where I used to go and where I, all of the hookers I used to hang out with. And, you know, because I wanted them to know, you know, fairly quickly and upfront. And I thought, what a nightmare. Like, why would that person ever go out with you again? They know nothing about you. Or I've heard people say on dates, oh, well, I told them about my horrible childhood and how many years I've spent in therapy. And it's like, you know, you got to get to know somebody first. So I want to say, to you guys what intimacy is and how intimacy is achieved and how you find someone to be intimate with. Because for me, this is the essence of the work we have to do is that, um, is that when you disclose to someone um, pieces of yourself, one or two things happen. Well, three. One, if I say to you, you know, I had a, something simple, I had a really bad day, um, you know, my dog is, is sick and uh, I had to run to the vet this afternoon. Just something like that. I'm not, I'm not, not going to tell you that to a stranger, but if I said to Tammy, you know, that dog got sick and I had spent half the day getting him well. Tammy, that would actually be revealing myself to Tammy. It seems minor, but I'm saying this is how I'm feeling and this is how my day went. Now, she could do a couple of things. One, she could move toward me and say, wow, I'm really sorry that happened. You know, it's really difficult when your dog gets sick. It happens to me too, meaning she heard what I said and it motivated her to get closer to me. That is intimate. I could reveal this to her and she could say, well, that's okay. Let me tell you about my day. And that would not be intimate. It, it would tell me about something about Tammy, which is she is so, you know, moving along with what's hers going, what's going on with her that she would, is not that interested in what's going on with me. And if that happens enough, I know that that person's not available to be intimate with me. And then there's the just, we don't talk about anything. They just say, oh, well, sorry that happened and we move on. So when you're starting to date, this is how you know if you're dating the right person, you are a little bit intimate with them. Like, you know, that reminds me when I was growing up and my mom was angry a lot. That, and then see what they do. If they say, wow, I'm sorry you had an angry mom or my mom was angry too, or then they're safe to, you've been intimate and they're moving towards you. Anything else is maybe not the person to be with if you keep practicing that. And sex is just another form of intimacy. I hold your hand, I reach out to you, I kiss you, I caress you. I feel responded to, okay, and in a healthy way. Great, I wanna move forward. You push my hand away, you start looking at porn. You, it tells me a whole different message. So the whole purpose of what we encourage people, what we want to move toward here is people revealing themselves in little ways and slowly over time, bigger ways in order to get what we all want in life, which is to have that neediness filled up with loving, supportive relationships. Part of the problem, by the way, with being a love addict is that we're not that interested in who they are. We're just so interested in the fact that they will love us and adore us and fill up all the emptiness inside of us. And in those cases, we'll do whatever we can to make sure they are feeling sorry for us, wanting to rescue us and pay attention to us. So um, I think little bits at a time, and as Tammy said, also reporting to other people. I shared this, we talked about this. I opened up about this, you know, all of that. I think, again, not being all alone with your own brain is a good idea. And to tag onto what you're saying and get your sponsor or your posse's feedback. I, you know, I oh. shared this and they, 
And this was their reaction. Cause like, you know, I could completely miss that they were like, oh, that's really interesting, you know, completely pulling <laughs> away, you know, and, and changing the subject where, you know, if I said, yeah, they pull back and, you know, kind of change the subject, you know, my sponsor might be going, you know, that might be a sign that that person isn't willing to go to the next layer with you. So, so paying attention to body language words and, and using your posse for support is how we can navigate this differently. So, but you know what, after three years, I want to say after three years, I'm going to be a little Nike, just do it. Like you get a posse and start three years. Yeah. Well, hopefully they're dating, but it doesn't mean they found a relationship. And I, I only want to say that because I dated for nine years before I found a meaningful partnership. So If they're single and they're going on three years of dating, you know, that's great because it doesn't, and I don't mean, I don't know which one, Tammy, to be honest. You're right. But if it takes a while to find a partner, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Just, I was reading it as I haven't been dating or doing anything. So, and you're right. It doesn't say that. I wanted to go to the last um, sentence here was, is it important to fully disclose to a new partner? Absolutely. At some point. Once a relationship gets serious or meaningful, you know, at least let's say five or six months in, or even a little bit less, maybe 30 days in, I'm sorry, let me try again. I think around 90 days in when a relationship starts to get serious, I would feel uncomfortable as someone was dating you if I found out something really big after a couple of months. And I know too many spouses, some of you were on here, who married those of us who didn't tell you really important things about our sexual life. And you're sitting here 15 later, years later saying, I'm not sure I would have married you if I'd known that. Or at least I should have had the decency to be told that before we got married. So somewhere between 90 days and making a commitment, you need to tell them they're human beings. Your partners have the right to say, I'm not sure I want to be involved in that. So to even say it's important to fully disclose, if to not fully disclose to a meaningful partner is to not be intimate with them, but to ask them, cut out, cut them out as adults who make reasonable decisions about their own lives. Maybe they don't want to be involved with a sex addict. That's up to them. Uh, we have to tell them. And hey, just, Tammy, disclosing to them is different than a disclosure. So like be be clear on that disclosing you know, your past in a way, it isn't like, and then I had, you know, sex in our bed or whatever, you know, it, so it's very different than a disclosure, a therapeutic disclosure between partners. So I think. I'm going to go eat my Labor Day, oh, my holiday dinner. Can, can we just do one? Because you you came uh, five minutes late. You give oh, me one more question, okay? Tired. From a berated spouse. That's what it says, berated. So that's why we have to do this. Not betrayed, berated. Yeah, I, I got spouse. It. What is the connection between sex addiction and unprotected sex? I've contacted th- uh, uh, contracted three STDs within five years, and I would think he would use protection to hide his infidelity. Well, berated. Berated means beaten up, abused, uh, mostly verbal, humiliated, embarrassed, So, and by someone else. Like if I said to Tammy, you never do good work, and I'm tired of working with you, and you know, every time and every day I remind her, that's berating someone. So I'm not sure exactly what that means. Maybe you're saying you feel abused by the fact that this person is not protecting you. So here's my first and only response to this. I would dump this person and never speak to them again. I would lock, change the locks. You know, someone has given you, I mean, God, when I think about 
even think about giving a person an STD one time, I think I would be embarrassed, humiliated, and also just really wishing that I hadn't harmed another person without thoughtlessly. But to put you in a situation, not once, not twice, but three times. And by the way, STDs, you know, HPV in a man could be a wart in a woman, it could be cancer. So I just think, you know, what is it, Tammy? Once fool somebody, twice fool. What is that? Fool me once, um, shame on you. on you. Fool me twice, right. shame on me. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm not trying to put shame third. on a, a betrayed partner, but, but like, yeah, like even the, you know, you would think he'd use protection to hide his infidelity. It almost seems like, like the infidelity isn't okay. That's what, that's where I want to go to is the infidelity isn't okay. And to just go, well, just use a condom, you know, like that, that's, he's still betraying you and having sex with you. So, you know, Dr. Rob has often shared, why would you want to have sex with somebody you don't trust? And he clearly isn't trustworthy when this keeps happening. So that was, that's sad. And the question, what is the connection between sex addiction and protected sex? The connection is that when we are actively acting out our addictions, we're not thinking about safety or, do you know how many men I work at at Seeking Integrity who went out during COVID? Everyone was protecting everything, but they went out to see affair partners and sex workers and then came home to mom, dad, and grandma. I mean, this is typical. Sex addicts are not thinking, all addicts are not thinking of much else than ourselves when we're actively acting out. So to me, an STD has to do with the fact that this person's an a, a very active addict and they're not thinking about the consequences. You can translate all of this, by the way, if you just use alcohol. You know, this guy's or this woman has picked up my kids drunk three times and I think they wouldn't drink when they drive with my kids. You know, um, and another way of looking at this in terms of getting an STD, what I, how I read this is this person has beaten me up two or three times and I've ended up having to go to the lead. I mean, that's the level at which you're talking about being harmed. What's the difference between being smacked across the face and giving an STD, except one of them is inside your body. So yeah, this person's incredibly abusive and unaware of your basic health needs, no less being kind. And I just have a hard time thinking about being with someone who, like this. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.